0: Take a few minutes just to thank these guys that leaders in worship, you know, the amount of practice that they do and they faithfully serve us week after week. So we just wanna say thank you guys. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well today we're um we're talking about leadership again. I'm doing um three weeks on it, and this is our third week. Um, And as I came to think about leadership, I was thinking about um, when I was at Bible College, we obviously had a a course, a a module on leadership. In the very first uh, leadership seminar we had, um, we watched a documentary about a man named Jim Jones. Um, Some of you might remember him. He was um, the founder and leader of something called the People's Temple, and um, it's best known for the fact that... Um, of the mass murder or suicide that they undertook of 909 of its members. And as we watch the documentary, they start to explore, you know, how can this happen? How can people be so passionately uh, following a leader that would lead them to such an end? And as you started to to watch the documentary and they explored into his life, it became really apparent that he was an incredibly charismatic leader. You know, he would be someone you would want to follow. He had studied leadership styles. He knew what worked well. Um, in the middle of the 1950s American sort of racial tensions, he stood up for equality, a white man standing for equality. You know, this is something we would want to get behind, you know, as you kind of looked at it. Um, he even, in terms of, we looked at last week of servant leadership, he, when he was in hospital, he served the black other fellow, uh, uh, what they called, Uh, people in hospital, (laughs) patients, he served them by emptying their bedpans for them. You can see what I'm like this morning. (laughs) Um, So you can see from this why you'd be drawn to this man. But as time went on, it became really apparent that, um, you know, what was motivating him, what was behind what he was doing, was a desire for power, pure power. And we were asked at the end of this lecture, you know, what makes a good leader? What makes a good leader? And we might think about that this morning. We're just scratching the surface, really. But what makes a good leader? And how can we lead well? Uh, we might not consider ourselves this morning to have that gift of leadership. You might be someone saying, "Yeah, well, it's not for me because I don't have the gift of leadership. I'm not leading anything. I'm not in a position at work where I supervise people or I'm not the captain of the hockey team or basketball or football or I'm not even on the school council or the PTA. I, I just don't, I don't do that. It's not my gifting. But I want you just to think more generally this morning. That we are all leaders in some way. Um, there's people following our example. For example, if um, you're a parent, you're leading your children, aren't you? They're watching for your example. If you're in school, you might not be, uh, consider yourself you know, particularly popular. You're not one of those people that everyone follows. But younger people in the school will be following Your example. You might be put in a group, for example, and asked to lead it. When those situations, um, how should we lead? How should we lead like Jesus? How should we lead like him? There are um, lots of different motivations for leading. Jim Jones, for example, was leading for power. Um, But what might we be leading for? We might also be leading for power. We might want to influence something. We get ourselves onto a committee to make that thing work for our advantage. We might lead for financial gain. So we just simply get paid more if we lead. We might lead for significance. Uh, We might like the way that people treat us when we're in that position or the title that we receive. Or we might uh, lead for self-worth. We feel that we have achieved something if we are now leading. The problem is, of course, when our primary motivation is something like that, it's going to fail. Jesus was really clear, wasn't he? Come to me. All oh, who are heavy burden, I will give you rest. Come to me and drink, he said. Come to me for your needs. Any of our needs that we have need to be met in him. In the past, um, I worked as a primary school teacher. And towards the end of that, I sort of did a bit of supply. And it was really easy on those days, doing supply, to, for my motivation just to simply be money. Um, I could go in and I knew that I would get this amount of money if I survived the day. (laughs) It was a bit like that. And I could find myself clock watching. Oh, I've earned this much in that hour. Oh, I've got to lunchtime. I've got this much money. But what about the individuals in my class that I'm supposed to be leading? I haven't even thought about them. It's suddenly become all about me. They become a bit of a blob just something out there, I know, (laughs) rather than individuals that God cares about and wants me to lead well. And those days are probably quite dull and actually really unfulfilling. Other times, I could go into the classroom and I could have a bit of an ego boost, be good for me, my self-esteem would be built, because I'd go into a classroom that was horrendous and the teacher was off, stress, and I could just could work my magic and these children would be eating out my hands and they would go oh you're an amazing teacher and then they'd sidle up to me and say would you like a job here (laughs) and I'd say no thank you (laughs) but you know that built my ego but you know I could have another day when I went in and I'd be literally stood in the stock cupboard thinking can I phone to go home because they are so out of control I don't know what to do Can you see how I can't really let my motivation be any of those things? Because it's really just shaky ground. It could be taken like that. And I wonder if you catch yourself in your own position, losing sight of why you're leading. Falling into some of those traps that I fall into. Seeking approval or payment or significance it's interesting when you look at the Bible, how God raises up his leaders. Um, and I was looking at Moses, I thought about him first. And uh, Moses, you know, what do we remember of him? He stood before Pharaoh. He led the people. He performed miracles. He spoke face to face with God as one speaks to a friend. That's a pretty good resume, isn't it? To walk around and go, yep. I speaks to God face to face. But we read in Numbers. We've got a PowerPoint. I haven't asked for it yet. Oh, there we go. We read this of him. It says, he was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? I couldn't believe it when I read it. But if you think about Moses, he had a hard life. He was adopted He was never fully felt that he was part of that family. When he really reached out to kind of reclaim some of his lost identity, he ended up murdering someone. He became an exile. He stammered. He failed lots. God, you know, had done a lot of work to make a very humble man and keep him there. And I was thinking, well, who took over from Moses? Um, Joshua. Moses discipled him. He was following. It says that Moses went into the tent of meeting, and when he came out, his face was radiant. And then it tells us that Joshua never left the tent. He worshipped day and night. So that when he went into the land of Canaan to scout it out, he just knew that God could do it. He knew that. But how did God keep him humble? Well, the very first battle they have is um, against the Amalekites. It's the one where Moses is holding his hands up and he can't and people prop up his hands. There's a bit of scripture that says, make sure Joshua hears this. Make sure Joshua hears this. Why? Because Joshua was leading that battle and God not for a second wanted him to think that he had done it. He wanted Joshua to know, it's not you, it's me. And when they went in um, and they marched around Jericho, again, God wanted Joshua to know, it's me, it's not you. Because Joshua was going to lead and lead and lead, battle after battle. And he needed to know that it was not him doing it. Okay. Okay. So I was a bit encouraged that if you've, you know, kind of had a bit of a troubled life or you've messed up seeking approval in the wrong places or um, you're looking for significance or self-worth, you're probably in God's school. So it's okay. As Christians, we want to follow Christ, don't we? We want to look like him, to be mini copies of him. Or as we um, looked this week when we were training for toddlers, they said, um, you want to be like a free sample of him. We want to we be like that, don't we? We saw how last week Jesus could do this kind of service because of two things. He knew who he was in God's sight. And he knew who God was, his father. He knew who his father was, and he knew who he was. But this week, we're going to ask, what about the motivation? You know, Jesus is the ultimate servant kings. He served, even to death. Well, what was his motivation? How did he do that? We could, we could um, carry on like, doing stuff like this, but what's our motivation behind it? So let's have a look at just a few verses. God so loved the world that he sent. The motivation for Jesus' coming is love. Love, love. In John 13 we read, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He was enabled to love them to the very end, even dying on a cross because love was his motivation. This is love, not that we love God, but he loved his and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then this, Jesus says, so that the world would know that I love the father, I do exactly as the father commanded me. Jesus' driving force, his motivation was always love. That perfect love of the trinity that overflows into creation. The relentless pursuit of God for us is driven by love unto an ultimate sacrifice. And as God reveals himself to Moses, he says, The Lord, the Lord, the gracious, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And in First John we read, God is love. That is the source of love. We all know what it's like to be led by someone who doesn't care much for us, probably, or doesn't love us. Um, I once worked for a woman who would sack people on the spot. You're not allowed to do that. She would do it, and she'd say, if you don't like it, I will not give you a reference. And that would be it. Seriously, that would be it. She taught her leadership the same. You must be ruthless. You must not get personally involved. This is business. And that was it. And it led to an unhappy staff and a really nasty leadership team. It wasn't nice. How many of us are kind of a bit aware of that with our own bosses? It's not about us, it's just business. You're expendable. Or you might even feel that in the classroom. It's about targets. Actually, the reason they want you to get an A is for themselves or the school. Actually, they don't care about you. If you're not going to get an A, well, just stand aside. It can so easily get into targets. And even in church leadership, it can go the same way. You notice it. How many are in your church? I'm often asked this, seriously. It's like, instead of what you do, it gets replaced with, how many are you in your church? (laughs) Imagine Jesus, how many in your church? Twelve? Oh. (laughs) Jesus' motivation was love. Love of the church, love of God. It allowed him to, lo- to show his love to the full extent. It drew those first disciples and it repelled others who wanted power. It repelled them. They didn't want anything to do with him. And it's this that draws us to follow him. We know we can follow him in security, that despite the difficulties we're facing or things going wrong or confusion over our lives, we know he loves us. He wants the best for us. He desires good for us. That is his motivation. Even in the absolute mess, his ultimate goal is always driven by love. He is on our side. And this is the secret of good leadership. Before we look at any styles, before we look at qualities, you know, we looked at Jim Jones, he was greatly charismatic. But we need to look, what's the motivation for our leading? Is it love? It's the secret of leadership that is good, that is resilient and is rewarding. And I was thinking about this um, in terms of my own children. You know, when I lead them, I want good for them. I really do because they're a part of me. I love them so much. They are a part of me. And I want good for their lives. It's resilient because no matter how many times I've got up that night, if they're crying, I will get up for them. No matter how many times they chuck their food against the wall, I will wipe it off for them. And no matter how many times I change that nappy, and that is the point they decide to do a poo, I will change that nappy again. And it's rewarding. Because when the person you're leading, you love them, you want them to do well, and your joy comes from their happiness. And that's how Jesus leads us, isn't it? His joy. We are his reward. He presents us radiant as the bride. And I think about people in the New Testament that might look like this a bit as well as in the Old. And I thought of Paul. And I thought how he loved the church. That is one thing that comes across in his letters, isn't it? How he desperately loves the church. He says, I don't care who planted you, watered you, I just want to see you grow. You know, he desperately longed for people he never even met. He put that he was yearning from them. To the Philippians, um, is that up there? Yes. He says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. To the Corinthians, he wrote this, I gladly spend for you everything I have and I expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? And of his own people group, he wrote... I've got great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. You see how the people he leads become such a part of him that it's similar to me and my children. I would gladly, you know, we know that we would lay our lives down in that situation for people that we passionately love, our parents, our partners, whoever it is. We are passionate for them, we long for them, we yearn for them, they're a part of us. And you know, I believe it's no accident that Paul's letters are so much in our New Testament. You know, God ordained it, he inspired him, but it's the overwhelming love that comes through. Even when he's rebuking them, chastising them, telling them off. He encompasses the whole thing in love, doesn't he? He says, I love you. I want the best for you. And you can see how those those letters aren't put in the bin. They're like, oh, I cannot stand what this man is saying to me. But they've been treasured and handed down and treasured and read and passed around because the love that he has is so overwhelmingly obvious. I remember when my mum became a Christian, um... It was shortly after my dad died, and she, you know, she was a bit vulnerable, and um, she started going to his church, and she got baptized, and that was, it was great. And actually, at that time, she started seeing a guy, and he didn't happen to be a Christian. And you can see, you can see how that can happen, can't you? You're bereaved, you're lost, you don't know what you're doing. And what she needed was a church that would love her and accept her as she was and say, come, be a part of us. Are you okay? And do you know what she got? She got a letter, a letter from one of the elders' wives. And it just basically said how disappointed she was that she had so quickly left the faith. So she stands there quoting Galatians to my mum. Mum doesn't have a clue what this woman's all about. All she's got is a letter in front of her from a woman she doesn't know. And she shows this to her partner. And what do you think is going to happen at this point? You know, there's love in there, isn't there? You don't want someone to go off the path. But what if she'd visited my mum? What if she'd loved my mum? What if she'd, you know, spoken to her, discipled her over time? It's just a thought. We know when someone genuinely loves us, don't we? We're so much more willing to take their advice or direction or even criticism of our behavior. Think now of someone you'd be willing to take criticism from. It's never easy, is it? We feel defensive and uncomfortable. We feel a bit sick and it's awkward and we don't like it. But who would we actually receive that from? It's probably someone we know completely loves us. There was um, a friend of mine, and um, I used to meet with him, and he was leading a church, and, and he really wanted this church to be holy, and he'd cry about it. But, you know, whenever I met him, he would just moan, moan about the people he was leading. Moan, 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 moan. And, you know, he wrote letters too, They he didn't last very long. We need to love the people we're leading. We need to love them. Going back to Moses, he really loved the people he led. He really did. Do you know the people moaned about him? His leadership team went behind his back. They sniped, they whined. They were not nice to lead, but he loved them. And when God wanted to get rid of them, he interceded, please don't do this. In fact, he wrote there, he said this, block me out of the book you have written if you do not forgive them and go with us. This is how much he loved them. He loved them. He was willing to give his life. And Moses and Paul, they led like this, both of them. They were willing to be cut off for the sake of those they led. Think of us, the people we lead. Are we willing? Loving leadership is not easy. It doesn't mean that suddenly everyone in your, that you're leading loves you. It doesn't mean that when you're lovingly leading your child, they don't shout, I hate you. It will happen. It can happen. It doesn't mean that the people in your group that you're supervising at work suddenly think, you're the best boss I've ever had. That won't necessarily happen. But loving leadership is good. It is resilient. And it is rewarding. How do we love like this, though? I mess up all the time. Anyone will know I'm not a nice person when I'm tired. And I often, I don't say stuff lovingly. I have written those letters. I confess it now. I have said stuff to people I haven't thought. I've just said it quickly. I'm in a rush. I'm busy. If I was wearing Andrew's coat now, there wouldn't be any space left on it. So how do we carry on? How do we love like this? Faith. It's got to be, hasn't it? Faith to walk in the love that God has given us. We're told this in Romans, that love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Love has been poured out. We're told the fruit of the Spirit, the first one, is love. If we have the spirit, the first fruit is love. And if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and gives us it. We know that God wants us to love him and love others. We know that. That is his will. So let us ask for love Goodness knows I need to ask daily, minutely, when my, uh, whoever it is, whether it's my child is screaming and I don't know what to do and I put them back in bed for the 400th time. Jesus, I need more of your love. I might have a lot, but I need it. Imagine someone that I'm not getting on so well with. Man, do I need his love poured into my heart. We need his strength. We need to go to the source. It says God is love. It doesn't say we are love. God is love. And we need to go to the source. John 15 says, apart from him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. If we're cut off, nothing. And in Corinthians, we're told, and this is is sobering, that even if we give our very lives in sacrifice for others, if we do it without love, we don't gain anything. And it doesn't mean that that person doesn't gain. They will gain. But for us, God wants so much more. He loves us. He wants us to grow in love and feel that reward and feel that resilience and feel that it's good. We can't lead like Jesus on our own. And our leaders can't lead like Jesus on their own. That's why it's so important that we're praying, not only that we receive that love so we can act lovingly to them, but that they receive that love. That's what we should be praying when we pray. We're praying for unity, but we want to pray that the love of God is poured out into their hearts. We need to constantly come to the source and ask him again, fill my heart with your love because it's dry and it's dead. And I really, really, really don't love that person. In Ephesians, we are told this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Live a life of love. That's what we're told to do. And we can't do that on our own. If we do, it's just legalism. We can force ourselves to do it, but that's not what God wants. He hasn't given us a spirit To live a life of legalism, he wants to transform us daily. You see those stickers coming off a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And when Jesus sees us, no stickers. It's good. (laughs) Let's look at this passage that we looked at right at the beginning today with the kids. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud it does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking it does not easily angered it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrong love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres so to end today i just thought we could stand and we're going to read a prayer together based on that And whatever we're doing, whether we're leading um, in a a role where we're supervising or managing others, or whether we've got a role in the church, we can say this. Or even if we think, I'm not sure how I'm leading, we still need those qualities because people are watching us. So let's stand and we'll just say this brief prayer together. I'll just give you a moment. And it's just based on just what we've read. We just need what God's got for us. So let's read together. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I do not lead always out of love. Please pour out your love into my heart that I may lead out of my connection with you. I want to lead with patience. I want to lead with kindness. I want to lead in a way that does not envy, boast, or give in to pride. I want to lead in a way that honors others, not myself. I don't want to lead in anger. Oops, sorry. Oh no, (laughs) sorry. Celebrate and delight in all that is true and good. I want to protect those I lead, always trust God with them and know for sure he will establish what he wants in his time. And so I will persevere in faith and walk in the love I receive from you. I commit myself to you. Amen. Thanks. And i see the bands coming up.